50. Tonight we have a special guest. I've really been looking forward to this, Alyssa Knight. Um, before we get started, we'll go over a couple housekeeping things and some news. Um, so housekeeping, uh, I've turned off the chat except for me and Alyssa. Uh, if you have a question, put it in the chat box. I'll get to it when I get to it. Um, also, today is 9-11, which is the day that kicked off my career um, in cybersecurity and intelligence and also put me on a path to hacktivism um, post 9-11. Uh, so it's a very special day. Um, so with that being said, I'll go ahead and introduce our guest, Alyssa Knight. Hi, Alyssa. How are you tonight? Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me on here. It's great to be here. It's awesome. Awesome to have you. Uh, you know, I don't even know where to start with with your background and, and with your story. Like, you know, I've, I've done so much digging and chased down rabbit holes and, and, you know, you've done so much. So why don't you give us a brief background of who you are, um, kind of a little bit of what you've done, and we'll jump right in. Yeah, sure. Um, so for those of you who don't know me, I'm a recovering hacker of 20 years. Um, I originally actually got started in the BBS scene, uh, which is how I got involved in all of this craziness. Um, built my first computers, a 486SX25, uh, started a multi-node BBS in Seattle. Uh, that's when I pretty much got introduced to IRC and Pound Hack. And um, so this was at a very different time, uh, but uh, I started playing with exploits that I was finding on IRC. Uh, and getting from new friends and ended up hacking a government network when I was 17, was arrested and caught and uh, the charges were dropped. And I went in, I went to go work for the US intelligence community and cyber warfare shortly after. I've started and sold multiple cybersecurity startups. I'm a published author. I've published the first book on hacking connected cars. I'm in the process of writing a new book on hacking APIs. And um, I also, uh, among the different family of companies that my wife and I run, uh, we have Night Entertainment. I'm currently working on a new TV script for a new TV series um, that's going to be based on my life. Uh, so that's going to be interesting. And then, yeah, um, now I'm doing content creation where I'm blending my experience as a hacker with doing filmmaking for cybersecurity vendors and white papers. So. I'm, I'm pretty much a creator now, YouTuber, creator. That's pretty awesome. So I was looking at your story and, and your hack on the BBS and, and the, the government when you were 17. Mm -hmm. um, we kind of have similar backgrounds. So yeah, I got started in BBS and I think my first hack was a nuclear subcommittee BBS. And I okay. found, found the IP through 2600 Magazine, actually. Right. Uh, so it was kind of cool. But, you know, it, with that type of background, do you find that, you know, it's, it's kind of stressful, right? Because when I first got into cybersecurity and, and got, you know, my background kind of followed me in, the whole trust factor always seemed to be kind of in the shadows, kind of lurking. Did you find the, the, same, the same thing in your background? With, with what, sorry? With, with uh, the, your background and, and what had happened and, and the arrest, did you see that following you into cybersecurity and people kind of hesitant sometimes? And Oh, yeah. Like that, you know, initially, I think the, <clears throat> I think the, the court of public opinion has really changed over the last two decades, right? Initially, it was, oh, my God, you can't hire 
you know, a former hacker is she was arrested. She is, she has a criminal record, you know, but now I think, I think the overall opinion has changed a lot, maybe through public discourse on it and, you know, other things, but I, you know, I, I, yeah, I think the answer to your question is yes, initially, but that has definitely changed over the last couple of decades where, you know, no, we, we, we want to hire a former hacker or we, you know, we want to hire somebody that used to break into networks, um, but is turned good, turned into a white hat. Um, it's, it's almost like it brings street cred. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know what, what, but you know, I, th that's the only thing I could think of is, you know, who would you rather, you know, secure the locks on your doors and windows for your house, a former burglar or somebody that learned it in a book. Right. But, um, but that's, I, I, I want to be careful there. Cause I'm not saying that people that haven't been arrested and haven't had a, you know, weren't a black hat before aren't good hackers. I'm just saying that that was my story. That was my coming up story. Yeah, absolutely. So I was watching a video on YouTube. Um, one of your, um, one of your videos that you produced and it had to do with law enforcement and hacking their car. Yeah. Uh, so that was really fucking cool. Um, <laughs> why, don't, why don't you tell us a story behind that? Yeah. So um, after I published my book, so I was living in Stuttgart, Germany and um, working for some tier one OEMs and car makers that had contracted me to come out there and hack their fleet of connected cars. And um learned a lot. And, and after some time, I moved back to the United States and I, I started working on this book uh, and my publisher was Wiley. And once the book came out, I was contacted by a senior official in law enforcement who reached out and said, look, you know, uh, we need your help. The automaker isn't, isn't wanting to cooperate with us and we need you to hack our cars because we know that a lot of technology is going into the cockpit of our vehicles and we know that that's got to be creating an attack surface that could affect the life and safety of our officers um there was some other information going on um, that i was privy to um at the time and they wanted to understand how this was happening um so they brought me in i it was actually two years of my life um, totally philanthropic work. I didn't charge them at all. I just basically was, was, uh, you know, wanting to help the mission of law enforcement. And so, um, yeah, so, so I ended up basically finding vulnerabilities in the APIs that the automobiles are actually connecting to. And this was both federal and state law enforcement um, and also, of course, if you think about it, any vehicle on the road that has an active telematic subscription with this car maker. And so obviously word of my research was getting around very fast within the law enforcement community. And I ended up actually presenting to the NSA, CIA, uh, DOT, uh, all the different three-letter agencies and components on the, on the vehicle um, vulnerabilities. Um, and just went into detail into all my findings. What I was able to do was remotely lock and unlock the car doors, which of course is bad on a law enforcement vehicle and stop and start the engine. So, you know, let's say you wanted to, and all you need to know is the VIN, right? And we all know that getting the VIN number of a vehicle is not hard. I mean, you can just snap a picture of it through the windshield or just increment them. If you've got one VIN, they actually, the automakers actually just increment them by one number. So you just keep incrementing it. 
Um, but yeah, it was it was probably probably the coolest vulnerability research I'd ever done in in my career. I had a lot of fun with it, and it was scary. So also to say the least. Yeah, I watched that video. I thought it was really cool. Um, did you do any uh, RF hacking when it came to the law enforcement vehicles? Like I did. Well, initially, so uh, you know, I'm the hacker that cares about the remote attacks, not mm -hmm. the attacks that you can do from within the vehicle and the CAN bus and OBD2 port. But um, so for me, it was. It's always been through GSM, right? What can I do through the telematics control unit? For those of you who aren't into car hacking, that's basically the router for your vehicle. It's the modem. It's got the little SIM chip in it, just like a cell phone car has a SIM chip in it. And that's what it actually uses to communicate to um, the backend API service for the car maker. And so I, my typical attack vector on cars is usually through that GSM interface or what's called the TCU. Um, so there's uh, it, within my book, um, if you, you guys haven't yet gotten a copy, you can, you can grab a copy from Amazon or your local retailer. But um, basically, I actually have a chapter on attacking vehicles through the SIM chip. And it's, it's through what's called the Rogue Base Station or Rogue BTS. And if you've got to Nuance, you can actually buy a Blade RF. Um, I think it's the X40 is, is the latest rev. Um, but it will allow you to actually turn your laptop into a cell tower and anything around you, because you're transmitting a stronger signal than the legitimate cell tower, anything around you that's communicating or just will connect to your laptop thinking it's a legitimate cell tower, which includes cars. So if you own the network fabric that everything is connected to, and a regular cell tower has like A53 or LT Snow encryption on your and you're in charge of that, you can turn that encryption off. So it allows you to actually see the SMS text messages going back and forth between the vehicle and the backend. So the answer to your question, uh, Mike, is yes, I did try that. I also attempted to attack the vehicle through Bluetooth, but um, there was so much data that was coming out of the car over GSM that I recorded in Wireshark that I didn't have enough time to go through it. Um, with everything going on in, with the API vulnerabilities. So there, the, I may release one day when I have time uh, to go through those packets, I may release a, a subsequent report after this one drops. Um, but right now I've just been focusing on APIs. Yeah, I, I think that's like a hacker's dream is getting too much data that you can't sift through it all in Wireshark. Yeah. That's, that's like yeah. every hacker's dream. I'm, I'm a packet monkey. I love, I love playing with packets. So, I mean, I mean, just even this, like juggling it, like if you think about it, I run four companies. I'm also, I don't talk much about this, but I'm also the CISO for a bank. I'm doing all of this together and then going through like a terabyte of packets is, uh, it's tough to find Insanity. time for. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I, I know you are on the board of uh, several companies and, and, you know, you're a CISO, you know, what I found with, with being on the board of, of different companies is it's so much work. I thought these people just actually sat behind a boardroom and people came <laughs> to them and was like, you know, what do you think about this? And, you know, they gave their opinion, but there's so much more shit that goes into it. Um, you know, so I'm sure that keeps you like super busy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Always, always ask um, hackers on the show, you know, Chris Roberts and, and some of the other people I've had on before, what is your favorite hack and why? Mm. So there was a penetration test 
um, that I performed uh, of this, this clothing maker who made clothes out of recycled plastic, which was really interesting. And um, the warehouse, they actually had completely controlled by robots. So robots were moving these huge, huge spindles of, of plastic um, that was being turned into clothing and um, just moving the raw material around that made the final goods. And these robots, I was able to actually compromise and hack and had full control of a warehouse full of robots. And um, I would say that was probably the coolest, uh, the most epic hack. Um, that did, probably the, the next one that was probably just, just savage was I hacked a bank through the CCTV cameras in the parking lot. So um, uh, Tamara, the CEO of, of Sentinel One came to me and said, hey, look, you know, we're about to launch this new IoT security product called Sentinel One Ranger. And we'd really like you to do a paper on this. And I said, okay, well, how about instead of talking about your features, I go hack some IoT devices and showed how your product would have prevented it. So I, I parked my car in the parking lot of a bank and I, because the bank had the CCTV cameras on a flat network is the same network as the bank with all the core banking systems. I was able to pivot around within the bank off of the CCTV cameras that were running on a wireless network. So they weren't hardwired with ethernet cable. They were all wireless. And I just basically cracked the web key and was able to uh, uh, jump in on the network. That's, that's pretty sick. Um, I was doing a, a pen test for a large bank um, before I started work there. And the way that I got into the bank was through their VoIP phone that was in the lobby. Literally just unplugged oh, wow. the ethernet cable, plugged it into the laptop, did a little GNU Mac change and was yeah. in, the, in the voice network and then jumping from voice to data, simple. Um, yeah. I find that like most banks, you know, they're supposed to have like the best security, but I know that some of them like really struggle with large networks, with the credit cards and stuff like that. So it's really interesting to do tests like that. Um, so you said that you were, you got involved with the intelligence community. Um, I, I danced in that arena for a little bit. Um, what was it like for you in intelligence? Well, for me, it was, uh, there was a lot more operational work than, than one might think. So in 2007, I sold my second startup to a public company and decided that I was just going to retire for a while and, and go do something else. Uh, this was around the time when arrogance, um, arrogance still runs pretty high in cybersecurity. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of assholes in this industry. Um, sorry, excuse my French, but, That's um, okay. and, uh, um, I, I was really just kind of tired of the more elite than thou attitude at the time. And I, I was, I was done. So I actually was approached. So I was on a, a Fox news live about, um, some Al Qaeda cyber attack threats at the time. This is what, like, you know, six years after 9-11. And so uh, the, I was approached by law enforcement, um, uh, the uh, th a three-letter agency, U.S. Intelligence Community Agency, and said, look, hey, we saw you on this. Um, we would actually like to recruit you. And I ended up actually um, leaving cybersecurity after I sold my company to go work for the US intelligence community. And I actually decided I wanted to be operational. So we, I, I put my keyboard down and traded it in for an M4 and an AR-15 C 
556 SWAT. So I went to close quarter combat training. Um, I've got some great epic photos, but I, I was actually um, the only woman in my class to go through SEER training at the time too. So um, went through that process and um, won two contracts as a defense contractor. So I wasn't active duty, um, but I won the contract for the counterinsurgency advisory and assistance teams contract or the CAT contracts in Afghanistan. Nice. And um, also supported the counter ID contract in Iraq. And so, you know, it was, it was a really interesting part of my life. Um, I was still focused in what was called human or human intelligence, humans mm -hmm. collection um, in asymmetric warfare. Um, but I just more focused on the sort of cyber warfare side. And it was really interesting because a lot of people thought that Al Qaeda and other terror cells were just cave dwellers and didn't know what they were doing. They actually wrote their own software. They had developers. Um, they were using steganography um, and even, believe it or not, using child porn to actually communicate uh, because the sophistication of child porn rings and their rotating IP addresses. And um, uh, Al-Qaeda's intranet was actually called Obelesk at the mm -hmm. time. And it would actually consistently change and so um, this was my focus area for quite a while and then realized, hey, look, you know, I'm tired of being shot at. Uh, I <laughs> want to go back to uh, just, you know, being a computer nerd. Um, so I left and then went to actually lead the cybersecurity assessment teams for uh, San Onofre Nuclear Generating Station and started getting into critical infrastructure protection and doing SCADA security work for our nuclear power plants in the U.S. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, you know, what's funny is 9-11 um, actually, I think, gave a lot of people a boost in cybersecurity. I think cybersecurity itself grew quite rapidly after 9-11. Yeah. Um, and you're, you're completely right about Al-Qaeda. Al a lot of people thought that, you know, they were primitive and, you know, oh, they live in the desert, but they're pretty advanced, um, you know, looking at some of their steganography and some of their stuff. Um, yeah, and it, 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 since it is 9-11, I, I do want to give my heart out to the families of the 2,977 people that were killed today uh, in 2001, um, and the, God, it was over 6,000 people injured. So I definitely want to recognize them and, and their families today. Um, yeah, it was a loss for, for everyone, not just Americans, but for everyone. Absolutely. You know, I was watching some of the 9-11 uh, coverage. You know, it's just really sad that, you know, what happened on 9-11 and what's happening today. It's just, yeah. you know, when you look at the work that those soldiers put in and the lives that they that we've lost overseas, you know, in Afghanistan, and it just kind of fell apart not too long ago. Um, I did SIGINT yeah. during the Iraq war. Um, so I, I oh, was kind of, okay. yeah, I was kind of on the other end of the, the, the intelligence spectrum. Right. Um, and then I cross-rated in from SIGINT into CTN, which was a new cyber warfare rate. So we probably, oh, interesting. we were probably connected to the same people. Yeah, I'm sure we were like some sort of degrees of separation somewhere in there. But yeah, yeah. a lot of asymmetric warfare. And, and at the time, what was being called COIN or counterinsurgency. Mm -hmm. COINTEL, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I, I was stationed at the uh, Joint Force Intelligence Command for a while in oh, Virginia. Wow. And oh, uh, seeing some of this stuff. Your service. Yeah, absolutely. You too. Um, you know, my roommate back in Alabama actually was a contractor as well. And he did the tethered balloons with the surveillance cameras. Oh, yeah. You know, it's funny. A lot of people don't remember this, but so this was around the time of Blackwater, right? I was 
very involved mm -hmm. in a lot of that high risk and close protection stuff. I went to um, tactical hostage rescue operations training as well. Um, but this was like the triple canopy days. Um, at the time, Briar and Thorn, which is one of our companies that my um, that we own in our family of companies, uh, is actually before it was an MSSP, which is what it is today. Uh, it was a defense contractor, so we were do servicing these defense contracts under Briar and Thorn. And um, yeah, this was around the time of Eric Prince and Blackwater, who I think has pretty much disappeared today. But. Yeah, yeah, I ha I've worked on some of the missions that um, was left over from Blackwater. Yeah, uh, after some catastrophes that occurred, the whole some thing the just imploded. That whole thing imploded. I was, you know, I kind of, some way, kind of just felt bad for him. But you know, it's uh, and a lot of people, and and sorry, this is irrelevant to cybersecurity. But um, you know, at the time, a lot of people didn't understand that why what happened with Blackwater happened. How could you have thrown policemen? into a, a war zone, uh, you know, and into active firefighting um, and in a war zone. It's like Blackwater was given so many billets. They had no way to service them. They, they were out of people. And so what did they do? They just went around to all the local, you know, police stations and like, want to go to Iraq? We'll put you in it. You know, and, but Mike, they were making like, we were making over a thousand dollars a day. So we were pulling people out of the sandbox, you know, in Iraq and Afghanistan and, and, and to, they were making 30,000, 40,000 a year, pulling them mm. out of the sandbox and then putting them right back in for doing a lot grand. of the same MOS for twelve, fifteen hundred dollars $1,500 a day. There were some guys that were billing like $2,000 a day. It was insane. There was so much money going to defense contracting. It was, it was wait, the, it was, it was another bubble waiting yeah. to, to pop. Absolutely. And it was a contractor war at most of mm -hmm. the war was fought by contractors. It was, um, yep. It was privatized military. They were, it was basically war right. had been privatized. Yeah. Paramilitary. And, you know, there was a catastrophe that happened in a bazaar in Baghdad um, that we had to clean up that was yeah. destructful. Um, and I think that's what started to bust their bubble, but that, that whole time frame really boosted me personally in my career. Um, you know, I lost a lot of friends over there, but yeah. in the same token, like my career skyrocketed off of that. But the one thing that, that it did do on a negative aspect was working intelligence. I don't know if you experienced this, but working intelligence, I got to see things that Fox news and CNN weren't necessarily broadcasting correctly or the whole truth. Um, and so I got kind of a, a bad taste in my mouth. And that's why when I left the military, I turned to hacktivism Yeah, because of some of that misinformation and, and you know, you're and you were anonymous as well, right? Yeah. You're, you're a member of anonymous. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that the, the war can, can boost people's career. It can, you know, make people, you know, move along in, in status or whatever. And, uh, but what's really sad was when I left the military active duty and went back as a contractor, you know, they were trying to get me to reenlist and they're like, oh, you know, we'll pay you $30,000, you know, sign on bonus uh, if you reenlist. But I, I realized that with my TSSCI, I could go from active duty to contractor and make oh, four yeah. times. If you had a TSSCI and, and they would park it for you and mm. makes, you would make four, like you said, four or five times yeah. what you were earning there. And that the attrition from the military, I mean, when you look at how much people can make on the contractor side, that's, I mean, it's huge. It's really big. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, you know, the, the SIGINT part of it kind of led me into cybersecurity. Um, but what I lacked in cybersecurity as far as, you know, what I felt was lacking in the industry was I, I, in the military, I knew what to expect. I knew what was expected. I knew what to expect. And I knew how to get from point A to point B. But in cybersecurity, you're, you're completely right. The whole thing with ego, ego is getting away of a lot of operations. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, the industry is, is like that sometimes. Um, and, but I'm finding it now more than then. Um, it just seems like our industry is getting really diluted um, mm. with all these certs. What's your take on certification? Yeah, so the, I know that's a really polarized topic. Um, you know, I'm sure some people are going to want to keep my car when they hear me say this. But look, I'm going to preface what I'm about to say with the fact that I used to go through this certification mill when I first started in cybersecurity as well. Uh, went to go get my CISSP. Uh, I'm not going to say started because they weren't around at the time. Um, I, I would say like 10 years into my career, I started to do that. Um, so. I went in to uh, get my CSSP. I got my, I paid for this, what was it, $7,000 for a SANS GCIA course, um, did the GCFA course. I, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with getting certifications. If that's what you want to do, do it. Like, like go rock it out, go get your certs, do that. If that's what you want to do, go do it. Um, I've, I've, I know some brilliant people like um, Victor Westbrook. Um, I, I've oh, yeah. never seen anyone with so many certifications um, and it, it, absolutely lovely guy and, and great guy. Um, but he doesn't make it about his certs. And the thing is, is that I caution people to do is don't be your cert because that will get you past the recruiter that will get you past HR. But at that, at, once you're in the interview, you have to pass it. So yes, you could memorize what you need to do and pass the practicals to be able to go get your cert. And there's some great certs out now that aren't dominated by SANS and monopolized by SANS. Um, no offense to the SANS people out there. Um, but um, you know, like the OSCP, and there's way more practical than exam stuff. And, and I have a great deal of respect for, for anyone who's got certs, but don't, don't be your cert. And um, you know, for me, I've met a lot of Cisco certified people who had every Cisco cert that they offered, CCNA, CCIE, whatever. And once I got them into the interview, they couldn't tell me the headers of a packet. And I was like, what, what do you mean? You, you've got these Cisco certifications. How can you not tell me what the headers of a packet are? Like ninth byte offset of the IP header. What is that? Like, uh, you know, deer in headlights. It's And so I think, you know, it's good to have them if you want to, but remember that these are for-profit corporations that, like you said, Mike, are incredible, like adding a lot of dilution to the to the industry, and and I think in in many ways causing more harm than good. Mm. But um, you know, but if if that's what you want to do, go do that. Do you? But I'm 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 over it. Like I having to pay every year for the membership fees. I was publishing books and publishing papers and speaking at over 15 conferences a year and not submitting my, my credits that I need to submit. And so, you know, it would expire and I need to go through it. Like, no way. It's like, thank you, but no thanks. Yeah. I think I was part of the first class of, of CH Rev one. And, you know, we got into the industry when there wasn't really an in the industry, there, there was no yeah. cert certified ethical hacker. Yeah. Um, so I took that test and it was such a joke. 
And after that, you know, it expires every four years or something like that, or five years, I don't know. Um, but I refuse to get it re-upped. You know, I just, there's a lot of certs that are worth the money, like OSCP, like you mentioned. Um, as a matter of fact, me and Pyro and uh, one of our other friends are actually going through the OSCP now. Uh, but a lot of them aren't worth their weight. Um, CEH, I tell people to stay away from CEH just because they have problems as a company. EC Council does. (laughs) As with Alyssa Miller and all that stuff that went down. Oh, yeah. Shout outs to Alyssa, by the way. I absolutely adore her. Yeah, we just just had her on. I guess it was about a month ago. Um, Dude, she got me like she posted. She posted on Twitter like she has what, like an obscene amount of followers, like what, 40,000, 50,000, like it's ridiculous. And, and she posted on her Twitter feed, go help a night. She's only got, like, she's trying to get to 10,000 followers by the end of the year. And it was like, she posted it and like in 24 hours, I went from like 8,000 followers and I was giving myself till December 31st. And I went from like 8,000 followers to 10,000 followers in like, 24 hours because of her Jeez. so I, I owe her i definitely owe her a cup of coffee so. yeah I, I on linkedin i have quite a few followers but twitter and, and youtube i think youtube i just hit like 550 yeah it's hard yeah. like i'm i'm at, I, I like what 2800 on youtube it's hard to get there like getting people to hit that subscribe button is difficult. So for all of you listening right now, hit that subscribe button um, for both Mike and I. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's hard to get followers on uh, subscribers on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard. Yeah. Another another thing too that that kind of frustrates frustrates me about the industry is, and I posted about it this week on LinkedIn. You have people who go around commenting on people's you know posts, just wanting to argue shit or talk shit, and it's like yeah, you know. It, these are people who are putting themselves out there, you know, giving their opinions, yeah. their thoughts, you know, show them some respect, you know, lift them up or, or add yeah. something to the conversation. Don't destroy I, it. Yeah. I want to, you know, but uh, you know, I'm, uh, it's easy. It's, it's definitely easy for me to be a pessimist with, with the way, the way the world is today. I, I, I mean, I would say that, uh, and I'm sure you'll agree with me over the last decade or so, things have gotten better, I think in cybersecurity where, or maybe it was always this way and I just didn't see it, but I feel like there's a lot more, um, you know, uh, just what's the word I want to use here? It's it's not so adversarial between everyone. You know, they, it does feel like there's a lot more organization, a lot more collaboration, um, you know, just co- a collegial kind of atmosphere uh, within cybersecurity now more so than there was before. Um, but I agree with you. There's definitely some people out there that make themselves feel better about themselves by, by making other people feel bad. And I think that's really in any circle, not just in cybersecurity, but you got to just kind of just realize that there's people out there that are like that. And, you know, I, I always have to remind myself because I used to really struggle over it. If somebody didn't like me, it, it would like, just for, those of you um, listening, like it was, it was tough. Like if someone didn't like me and they were public about it, it really affected me at a visceral level. And it would like, I'd walk around the house, like, you know, there was this one instance where, you know, I was crying over, it was horrible. And, you know, and then my book came out and then there were, you know, some people that wrote some, some really horrible things on the book review, you know, but I realized I took a step back and I realized like, number one, some of the greatest authors in books and history that have ever been published 
have one star negative reviews and like grapes of wrath, you know, um, but, and you know, there's that, and you need to remind yourself that, oh, thanks girl. Yay, Kristen. Yay. See, Kristen wrote a lovely, lovely review for me. She, she jumped out of a plane for my book. Um, that's a long story. But, um, you know, you just got to remind yourself, Mike, that, you know, just like you don't like everyone, mm. like there's people you don't like, there's going to be people that don't like you. Yeah. And, and, and that's okay. That's okay. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm okay. Maybe it's just cause I'm 42 and I'm, I'm much wiser in my, my I years. Should, I should but... be a genius then if you're 42 <laughs> and you're wiser, I should be a damn genius. <laughs> no, but one of the things that, that I have a problem with personally is, you know, when someone posts a comment, my brain works a little bit differently than most people. So when I see a comment, I don't necessarily know how to take it. I don't know if they're trying to be supportive or if they're yeah. being negative. And so sometimes my, my knee jerk reaction is why are they being so mean? Yeah. Then I read yeah. it and someone else says, no, put your Asperger's aside for a second and let me explain to you what they're really saying. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that social part of it is something that you know, when we got into the industry, it wasn't like that. When we got into the industry, it was very closed lip. It was very, it was, it was yeah. very hush hush. And if you wanted to figure something out or learn something, like you had to figure it out on your own. Yeah. Like there was no, there wasn't even at the time when I got into it, there wasn't even a securityfocus.com. And now a lot of the Gen Zers and millennials these days don't even know what the fuck I'm talking about. When I say securityfocus.com, they're like security, what? Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of them don't even remember security focus because they weren't the, you know, God, maybe some of them were even a, in their mother's womb, who knows, but, you know, or growing around diapers, but you know, the things were different back then. Like you said, when we started out, you had to download exploits and run them and figure out how to compile them and then look at the packets to figure out what it's doing. You know, I remember analyzing packets for code Redworm to figure out how that worked and then writing a white paper on it and publishing it on securityfocus.com. You know, things were very different back then, but even before security focus and like, we didn't have SANS, we didn't have master's degrees in cybersecurity. Hell, you could get a PhD in cybersecurity now. That's right. insane. You could be a doctor in cybersecurity now. It's insane. But, you know, everyone has all of these resources and, and things available to them and education, securitytube.net, Mike's show, you know, every, all of these things um, where you can learn. So it, it, it aggravates me when people reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter and say, Alyssa, can you teach me how to hack? Right. Think, go freaking read about there weren't even really many books. I don't even know if there were books in cybersecurity when no, I started. No, I, I think with with uh, security focus, it's funny you mentioned that because that was one of the first places I went to when I was getting into, you know, the industry was security focus. Um, they, they had posted jobs there. They had, of course, all the in-map stuff was on security focus and links to insecure.org. Um, and IRC, oh, insecure.org. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. So our, our first, I think our first Wikipedia was more like IRC. I learned more in IRC than I did in any book. Um, yeah, agreed. But yeah, kids, you know, I have a lot of people come up to me and saying, well, where do I start? And I'm like, Jesus, man, like you have all these resources, like just go. I mean, YouTube, you can learn how to hack in 24 hours on YouTube. You know, the, what anything like that when we were kids. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, there's just, you know, with social media, like, here's the thing, Mike, with social media, everyone has been given a microphone. Everyone is a PR firm. Everyone can publish 
news and and be a broadcaster hell i've got an entire broadcast studio here you know <laughs> like with with car cinema cameras that marvel studios use to film avengers like this anyone can make their own movies write their you know film their own documentaries publish their own news reports and the problem is is that you know you don't know what's real or or fake anymore you know and then yes okay the trump administration's coined this whole term of fake news fake but news. you know even before even before trump you know started going on about that it, there was always kind of fake news right because with the advent of twitter and facebook you could post whatever you wanted and it would be like alyssa.news you know and, it, and and i could put out there a news report about something that was completely slanted you know anyway yeah yeah definitely and i think that it's just getting worse as far as media goes you know i i hear a lot of people talking about oh well you know i watch cnn or oh i watch fox because it's conservative well, newsflash, they're all funded by the government. They're, they all have their political stance. You know, it's state-run media. It's no different than, yeah. let's say, Russia or China. You know, it's just a yeah. different spin. Well, and a lot of a lot of the, you know, mission for Anonymous and the different Anonymous cells was, you know, uh, about that very thing, you yeah. know, and and so, yeah. Disclosure. I think that's, that's what attracted me to it, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so looking at your career and the path that you took, and where you're at today, what is one thing that you would have changed uh, to make things different if there is anything that you would have changed in your career? Um, what would I have done different? I think, here's the thing, and, and, and this is another thing that I don't really talk much about is, you know, so in 2001, um, when I was working as a penetration tester for a company, um, I was bullied really badly uh, at that company. And it wasn't by one person, it was by multiple people. And they were, it was, it was like the whole schoolyard recess bullying, but in a, a corporate office um, and really couldn't get any help from management um, or HR. And so um I think what I would have done differently is is not let it affect me the way it did, um, you know, because it really it really affected me and even affected um, the you know my it affected my life the decisions that I was making um, you know it, it was a very difficult time in my life uh, at this time and it went on for about four years, um, so you know I I would say probably reacted differently in my career to the negative Nancy's and the bullies um out there um sorry I'm like <laughs> messaging my wife bring me coffee I'm out of coffee um so you know I probably would have reacted differently to the bullies mm. and the trolls uh I think that's probably what I would have done differently is is handled it differently yeah I think that's a common a common uh thought because even today I find myself reacting at first and then having to pull back and going, you know, what the fuck am I doing? That's the reaction they want, you know? Yeah. So I learned that. It's, yeah. And it's, it takes me so much effort not to go into Amazon and start responding to all the, you know, responding to the negative reviews, but yeah. you know, like JK Rowling, Harry Potter has one star negative reviews. You can't as an author, 
you need to pull yourself back say it that 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 won't work that just going in there and responding to you know negative reviews you know there's going to be some people that don't like my book i have to be okay with that there's going to be some people that don't like me i have to be okay with that and it's hard because i am a you know i'm i'm a i'm a yes woman i'm a people pleaser you know and so it's it's difficult when someone is bullying me and doesn't like me and whatever You know, two, two of my favorite people in the industry are you and Alyssa Miller, hmm. because you're so positive, Thanks, Mike. you're so positive oh, all the you. time. And, you know, it's hard to find in this industry, you know, you get people yeah. who are negative or people who uh, feel like they should be untouchable, you know, and unapproachable. Yeah. more late than now. Yeah. You know, here's the thing, Mike, I, I realized, and maybe this was because, so there was a, um, uh, I, I, I kind of, I'm like dropping a lot of new stuff on your show today that I haven't talked about before. So um, I have never talked about this before, um, but um, in a, a few years ago, uh, I actually developed a um, autoimmune disease, which led to cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And, you know, and, and so I, I, I beat that. And for me, I think it was the realization that at any time I could go mm-hmm. like any time, like, you know, and, and that's why, you know, I've got the, I think the most common message I get on social media is Alyssa, why are you doing so much? Like <laughs> you, you put out a paper and like the next day, another like 30 page white paper will come out that you wrote. And then the next day, another video will come out that you, that you produce. And it's like, how do you, how, why, what, what, when do you sleep? How are you doing all this? And, you know, it was, it's, I kind of just took a step back in my life and I realized, you know, tomorrow's not promised to any of us. Yep. And I want to do as much as I can, as soon as I can. And I want, you know, it's not really about how much gold I die with in my pocket. It's, it's, it's how many lives can I influence while I'm here? And, you know, how many, how many people, how many communities can I uplift? How many families can I bring up out of poverty from hiring them at one of my companies? How, how, you know, how many people can I teach, you know, and, and that's kind of been my mantra. That's been my, my mission. It's, it's, I, I, I want to, I want to live well. I want to live this life. Well, I, I totally get that in 2017, I had a pacemaker put in, um, basically keep oh. me alive. My heart was going, you know, down to like 20 beats per minute. I was passing out and it was horrible. Uh, but after that, I was like, it, it really puts things into proper perspective as far as what life is and how it comes and goes so quick. And yeah. I think I, I learned a lot of respect for that back in the military as well. You know, seeing people here today and then gone tomorrow, you know, it's, yeah. It, when you, when you're exposed to a lot of that, I guess it gives you a different, different look about life. Um, and that's yeah. kind of what people have said, that, you know, cause I, I try to do as much as I can and people have to tell me, Mike, slow down. You're going to burn the candle at both ends, you know, save some time for yourself, unplug. Um, so I, I really have a, uh, I struggle with that a lot. Um, finding time for myself and actually tuning out and doing something away from a yeah. computer. And I think yeah. it's so important, especially in the industry that we have, because it's so fast paced, things change so quick. Um, yeah. It's it's hard to take that break, but how do you take your break? You know, what do you do to, to decompress oh, and get away? Um, 
Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest here and say that I don't I don't disconnect and I don't log off. I don't it's even it's really bad. And I'm not saying to any of you that this is good. I, I'm I'm actually quite ashamed of it. Um, but you know, I've got night publishing, I've got night entertainment, I've got night ink. Uh, you know, now we're about to make a major announcement regarding conferences. Um you know, we've got Briar and Thorn, Knight Holdings, we've got Knight Capital. So I've also got a venture fund and I do investing and day trading and scalping. And, you know, we just, we do all these things. It's really difficult to pull away because of either client demands or um, full-time employee demands as a CISO. And so I guess my cancer, uh, sorry, my answer, <laughs> cancer answer, my answer for you, Mike, is, is not a good one, is that, you know, I don't. Um, when I do, um, you know, it's, it's, it's time with my wife. Maybe it's, it's little spots here and there. Like on Saturday mornings, my wife and I have this thing where we sit down and, and drink coffee and watch HGTV. We're, we just finished building our house here. Awesome. And, and uh, we're, we've got all these construction projects going on, you know, um, and so, you know, we love when we're addicted to HGTV. So like a couple hours in the morning on Saturday, we'll have coffee and HG together. Um, that's, that's my, I guess that's my decompression. But for me, Mike, I love everything I do. Everything I do is my passion and my hobby. And it just so happens to be bringing in money. You know, it's like, I love filmmaking. I had no idea I would, I would be a filmmaker. I love filmmaking. I love writing. You know, I love being an author. I love, um, you know, writing papers and, um, you know, just, uh, and there's so much to learn with audio and video, so much oh, to yeah. learn, um, you know? And so I think, I think I'm doing what typical people would do to decompress from work. I'm doing as work. If that makes any sense. That's the and goal. So, but yeah. And I mean, as far as disconnecting, um, you know, when I, when I work out at the gym, so I'm very, I'm very meticulous about my time. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're going to, you're going to make fun of me here. So here we go. Check this out. Are you ready so, to laugh at me? So, so do you wake up at 4.30 AM, like all of the super Uber professionals? <laughs> you get out of my head, Mike. That's exactly what I was going to say. So <laughs> I don't know if you guys can see this, but this is basically my, it's, it's my daily task sheet. And um, basically on the right-hand side, um, I, I, I schedule out my day in 30 minute blocks. And so my day starts at 4 a.m. I work out, I go to the gym. And then um, uh, after that, I meditate. And then meditation is huge. Like I can't stress it enough to all of you in the industry that we work in, in such high stress environment where you're constantly in a fight or flight mode, your body can't take that 24 hours a day. So meditation is so important, especially transcendental meditation, which is what I do. Um, and then uh, like, if you, if any of you are familiar with accounting, there's this concept of zero-based accounting, $0 accounting, where every dollar that comes into your household it gets assigned a job, right? So all of your money that comes in should be assigned to something, savings, as well as your other bills. And so I do the same thing with my time. So every 30 minute block is assigned a task. And so I have the major tasks that I, I, and I fill this out every morning. Um, so I fill out the most critical tasks I need to get done today. And then I, I actually write down what I'm grateful for. So I, I, it forces me to sit down and actually memorialize and write down the things I'm grateful for. My, I have a 17 year old son. I'm 
you know, for my son, my wife, um, you know, and, and just the things in my life that I'm, that, that I need to pause and, and say thanks to. Um, and then, you know, my short tasks, my long tasks. So anything under 30 minutes or anything that takes more than 60 minutes, um, habit tracking, cause you have to be very habitual, right. Per, you know, it's what I've learned in life is that, you know, you, you are what you habitually do every single day. So you should try and habitualize as many things as you can. And then um, education. So I have six courses that I'm taking right now and I allocate 30 minutes for each course every day in addition to my task. And so anyone that says, oh, but Alyssa, I don't have time for that. Like there's time, you know, you have the same amount of time, you know, the day that uh, Tim Cook has, you know, or the homeless man on the street. You know, everyone has the same amount of time. You know, what's funny is I think it was Elon Musk who said that the most successful people in the world get up by 4.30 a.m. every day. Yeah, yeah. I've, I, 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 I'm a radical reader. I love reading books and self-help books are my favorite books to read. And that's that's pretty much in every success tracking book is, is early to bed, early to rise, mm-hmm. you know, makes a person healthy, wealthy and wise. Absolutely. You know, it's amazing that you uh, do that and schedule like every bit of your time. I I think that for me doing that, I I think I do it unconsciously because I'm driven Mm. by routine. And if my routine gets fucked up, then I am a mess, like an absolute mess. Or if something happens that wasn't expected, like, you know, a change in something, um, I don't deal with change very well. (laughs) I think it's just part of part of the neurodiversity as well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so someone tried to get me into meditation not too long ago. I, I, I'd been meditating, but not the guided stuff, just putting on music and like, you know, centering. But they introduced me to a guy named Joe Dispenza, um, mm. a guy, I guess he had a brain, a traumatic brain injury and basically healed himself through meditation and, mm. you know, just meditating. So I thought, okay, I'll try this out. I'll give it a shot, right? So I found this guy, Joe Dispenza, and I put his meditation on. It was the roughest for me because the guy has a New uh, York, he has a New York accent. So he's like, you know, talking this really arm. thick accent. Yeah. <laughs> my my wife is from New York, so I know that accent very well. Not good for meditation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I call him Joe Pez Dispenza. I just I can't do this voice. <laughs> Pez Dispenza so yeah um that and like you know I, I do fly fishing um the last okay. fly fishing trip i took uh wasn't too long ago and uh yeah i nearly floated down river i fell off of a rock and hit my back busted my leg and was sliding into the river backwards um, it was really interesting Aww. but yeah so you know being able to schedule your day is is awesome and i yeah. like how you how you coin it to where you know, when you have a dollar coming in the house, that dollar should go to something, should be assigned a, a task. Yeah. Uh, I think everybody is is assigned a certain role in life and a certain task. Um, and I have a hard time like fitting into that. And I, th- I think it's always been my biggest problem is finding that groove, finding where we fit in, um, especially in cybersecurity. When I first got into the industry as a professional cybersecurity, you know, analyst or pen tester, um, Back then, there, there wasn't a lot of tattooed, you know, nose piercings, <laughs> mohawks stuff, you know, going on. It was yeah. those guys. Chris were Roberts, like, purple beard. <laughs> yeah. 
So we, we were actually talking about that the last episode too, is that we were the ones who didn't fit in. And, yeah. you know, when you look at the industry now, it, it's much different than it was back then. Um, but it's grown quite a bit. And the amount of knowledge that, that floats around is just amazing. And that's kind of why I did this podcast. And it's kind of why I bring people on like you, like yourself, is that there's no historian, right? There, there's there's mm-hmm. nobody that's, except tribe of hackers, the book, right? So mm-hmm. I'm doing this to kind of chronologically record our lives and what we've done in the industry and what we've done to make the industry what it is. Because 20 years from now, 30 years from now, I hope to not be around cybersecurity in 30 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want, I want to leave something behind for people yeah. coming in to go, oh, that's what it was like back then. Yeah, a legacy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, to me, yeah, to me, the 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 best thing you can do um in, in any role, any position is to leave something behind that people that come, you know, even the people that came before you, um, and then the people that will come after you uh can can read and and that you can impart knowledge onto. Um, and that's I think that's probably a lot of the reason why I create content as well mm-hmm. is I want to be able to uh, scale the people in the lives that I that I influence and and improve and make better because you know me spending one-on-one time with someone which is something that I do I mean I do have people that reach out to me hey can you know can I just have a 15 minute zoom call with you and you know, and, and I love that. That's great. But I can't do that all the time. You know, I'm right now I'm working 72 hours a week, you know, and so finding time to give someone 15, 30 minutes is difficult. Um, but, you know, if I create a video that scales, I can touch 3000 people with a single video that I can't have one on one Zoom calls with, you know, so I agree with you. I, I think it's, you know, the best thing you can do is leave content behind. Yeah. I've also struggled with, you know, I've had people say, why don't you monetize your content? Cause right now nothing, yeah. nothing in this podcast is monetized. It's, you know, I yeah. do it because it's my passion. Um, so have you gotten to, I'm sure you have, have you gotten to a point where you've monetized, you know, your, your videos and, and, you know, your talks? Yeah. So, um, I, and I just posted this scathing post on LinkedIn about conferences and venues that don't pay speakers. Um, I'm still waiting to see what the, what the, um, what will, what that will trigger an effect in, 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 I think, but, um, it hasn't really had much effect so far. So we'll see what happens, but, um, I, I do charge to speak, um, at, at events and conferences. Um, to me, And I think anyone, anyone in the audience who does speak at conferences, uh, you should uh, try and demand a speaking fee. These these conferences are charging so much money to exhibitors, so much money to sponsors. Um, And I actually go now actually going into the events business. um, We're going to be like I said, we're going to be announcing something here very soon. Um, I'm seeing how much the profit margins are for people that host and run conferences and the profit margins are huge. And to know that they are not char- they are not paying, spe- a lot of them are not paying speakers fees is I think crime. It's I think robbery. I think it should be against, like it's it should be against the law. I mean, it's it's wrong, it's, it's highway robbery. 
Um, you know, this is people's content. And the reason that conferences are attracting attendees is for that content. Mm. How can you not be paying speakers? You know, that's, that's so wrong. I, I, it affects me at such a visceral level. But um, having said that, um, I, I do charge for speakings. Uh, I, I, do ch I do monetize my content, yes. Um, now, um, it depends on the platform, but also with Night Inc., when you see me put out a white paper, um, I, I charge my clients for that. Um, when I put out a video um, for something, I charged my clients for that. So to me as a creator, that's my time, you know, and, and, and things that I'm creating for people. So there's usually someone sponsoring that content or, or you know, actually paid for that content to be created. Yeah. So I started speaking a couple of years ago and I just started getting paid to speak. I guess it was about a year and a half ago. Um, but what, what kills me is during the pandemic, when everything went virtual, they thought, well, since we're doing virtual, we don't need to pay speakers because you're doing yeah, it from home. And I thought yeah. that's such bullshit because you're paying for the content. You're not paying for me to, to be there physically. You're paying for what comes out of my mouth. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out how, we is um, just we as a community need mm. to come together to fix this because Mike, this needs to be fixed. Oh yeah, for sure. I just don't know how we fix it other than sort of forming a consortium or mm. you know like unionizing basically, yes, yes. like forming a union where uh, we get everyone in cybersecurity, everyone in cybersecurity involved. And, and, and become a part of that union. And, and that union's rules are that you will not speak at a conference if you're not being paid right. and, and paid, you know, a, a fair amount. Um, you know, so I, the, because this has to get fixed, we outnumber them. Yeah. And eventually if every one of us comes together and say, we will not speak at your conference unless you pay us a fair amount of money, they're going to run out of speakers to go to. And then they're going to not attract attendees. And all they're going to do is have show floors full of exhibitor booths and, you know, sponsor banners. Um, I, I think this needs to be fixed and it needs to be fixed now. I totally, I, and, and I just don't know how we go about doing that. I totally agree. I, I think that if some of the top speakers would get together and be like, you know, we're going to start a guild like the Actors Guild, like user examples. Yeah, so, yeah. The Screenwriters Guild. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. just be like, you know, look, if you want anybody in this group to speak, you're going to have to pay and you have to pay. Yeah. And then out. word will get around and more and more people will join the guild that do yep. speak because um, not everyone in cybersecurity speaks and likes to speak. Right. So I, I get that. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think, yeah, Mike, if you know, we can take that offline and, and talk about that, I think it needs to happen. 100%. I'll help you with that. Um, I'll create the website. <laughs> I'll cool. create the website, make the t-shirts. <laughs> and I'll be the one you know, with the bullhorn making people mad. Awesome. Um, yeah. So I'm getting to speak in the Virgin Islands in December. Oh, cool. And that's one that, that I wasn't too concerned about getting paid to speak because they're actually flying me to the Virgin Islands and putting me on a super yacht. So it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. And it's for a super yachting conference. So little things like that are the perks are awesome. But then when I look at one of the conferences in Europe that they wanted me to speak at and they're charging people like 200, 200 euros to attend the conference and they said, oh, we're not paying speakers. I was like, wait a minute, you're making a shit ton of money 
but you're not going to pay for me to speak for an hour. Like that's yeah. an hour. You want me to keynote, but you don't want to pay me. Yeah, that's crazy. And you know, and a lot of them, and I'm glad you brought this up, Mike, because a lot of them like look at black hat briefings. Yeah. How much are tickets to black hat? Yeah. How much are tickets to RSA? Mm -hmm. And they're not paying speakers. Yeah. How, how is this a thing? Like, how did this ever become okay? We've allowed this is it not be, okay. We've allowed it to be okay. That's the problem. Is yeah. We've gone, we've yeah. gone so long and not thrown a fit about it. And, and, and it is Mike. And I think someone actually put this on the Twitter thread that I started about it where he said, yeah. And they use this thing as, Oh, you, you know, you get to pump up your brand yeah. um, by speaking at our conference. It's so wrong. And then like, I agree with you. I think like even the ones that are paying for your T and E mm -hmm. you can, still ask for a speaker's fee. Yeah. I did that with several cars, several, like, and now I'm represented by AAE. So I, I like, I, I actually have an agent that people go through to book me to speak, but you know, here's the thing, like if they're going to pay your team, like you could go, you go back to them and you say, okay, well, I understand that you need to get approval for this, but I, I would like to find out if you can give me my speaker fee as well, because you got to understand these guys are making 100%, 50% profit, 75% profit margins. Like it's insane. They are making a lot of money, mm -hmm. you know? So, I mean, I would, I would definitely push back on that and, and say, look, you know, I, I, my time is worth money. And yeah. if you're going to ask me to fly out there, stay in a hotel, you know, speak at your event, people are going to be coming to the, to the event to see me speak. Like, why aren't you paying me? You need yeah. to, you need to go get approval for that. I had, I had the same problem in Europe. I was speaking on this European tour. Um, it went all the way through England and part of Scotland and it stopped at every, basically every football stadium. Mm -hmm. And the pay that I got was very minimal. And then they gave me a, um, it's kind of like Uber Eats. It's like a little card. I can't remember what they call it over there, but um, it was like a, a card to get lunch. And I was like, are you shitting me right now? Like, so, this is, this is my so pay. Fucked. That's so fucked. I'm like, oh, yeah. You I, you know, I, I agree. I think Mike, I think we take that as a, as a, as um, an action item from the uh, coming out of this. Cause I've, you know, as I was writing the tweet, I was getting more and more angry. And as I was yeah. writing the LinkedIn post, I was getting more and more angry. And like, I think if we get the, a lot of the big speakers together, mm -hmm. a form kind of like a screenwriters guild kind of thing and unionize. And it's like, basically you will not get any of us to speak at your event. Like you you just get, go after everyone. I think between you, me, Chris Roberts, um, you know, a, a lot of the other big, you know, uh, sort of marquee speakers mm -hmm. um, out there that, that do speak at events and is part of their, their income. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and do this as a living, I, I think we can get everyone together and, and, and make this happen. I'm on board. I think that we need to come up with a cool ass logo too. Yeah. We'll make a cool logo. I'm, I'm thinking like total script, you know, screenwriters guild, man. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm telling you. And then all of you supporters in the audience, all of you, those who support us and support this initiative, like help us with your microphones. Each one of you has a Twitter account. Each one has a LinkedIn account, go out there and post about this like tell the world, help us tell the world that this is coming. Hashtag expect us. Oh, there like, you we're go. coming. We're coming. We're coming. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty passionate about that. When I first started speaking, I couldn't fly. Um, I, the U S state department had revoked my passport. I had no identification. I was stuck in the UK. Right. And so I had to take the train everywhere I went. Sometimes it was 10 hours on the train 
to go speak in an event for an hour and not get paid for shit. And some of the time I even paid for my own train ticket. So, you know, and in my mind, I was like, well, I'm just starting out. This is, you know, I've only been speaking for six months, but you shouldn't have to go through that shit. Nobody should. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dr. Katie Paxton fear, um, Gab smash, uh, mm-hmm. Tanya Yanka, you know, everyone, just everyone who speaks, yep. I, I, we need to get on, get them on board with it. For sure. So what are some of your other complaints about the industry as far as, you know, what you've seen over the years? Oh my God, <laughs> I'm going to totally hijack this, this do question it, in this, it, this conversation. It, I'm, I'm arachnophobic. And, and I just recently moved out to the desert and I I'm telling you, like, we have these spiders that are like this big, we have these wolf spiders and like one of them, um, just crawled up my wall. And like, this thing is like the size of my, I swear to God, this thing is like the size of my hand. I'm so freaked out right now. Is it like um, really sorry. furry? Is it furry too? Yeah. Like you like big enough where you can see its eyes and it's oh. winking at you Nice. anyway. Okay. I'm going to try and get through this, 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 I'm going to try and get through this without freaking out. Um, uh, I think, so what are the things that upset me about the industry? Um, I think there's still a lot of kind of mansplaining and, and you know, um, like there's still a lot of this, this garbage out there. Like I, I there was a, a tweet storm that I got involved in where, uh, and I try and stay, a lot of my followers know this about me. Like I don't get involved in drama. Like I don't, I don't retweet drama. I don't post about drama. I don't post about my problems, but there was this one tweet that really upset me um, where this guy went on, I think it was either LinkedIn. I think it was LinkedIn and was talking about how cybersecurity is too fast paced for women and that women want to uh, ultimately at a visceral level, want to be at home sort of taking care of the family or, um, you know, taking care of the kids, having kids, like that's what, where women ultimately really want to be. And, and I think the one that really got me the most was um, that, that cybersecurity was too fast paced for women. I, I don't even know, I mean, absence of logic. I, don't, I just don't know how there's any kind of logic at all in that statement at all. Um, but I think that's probably the, the thing that really disturbs me the most. And then um, we, uh, I don't like to start drama and I don't like to be the one that, that is like, oh, Alyssa started, you know, Alyssa Knight started that thread. There was this, there was a, a post I put on LinkedIn when I received this email from, um, from CrowdStrike, I'll just name drop them. CrowdStrike sent me this email about their new Falcon, their, their Falcon conference and all of the keynote speakers. It was just a page full of old white men. And um, I don't know, like that, the, I never really noticed it before. I never really kind of took it. Now I'm noticing, now I'm taking notes and now I'm taking a pause. Um, and I posted about LinkedIn and then I posted the screenshot. And, you know, what's missing here um, is, you know, is a certain chromosome. Yeah. And uh, um, I'm starting notes. And then I, I took the post down because I was like, oh no. Yeah, I just, I, but I'm still very affected by it. Um, I don't know how we go about fixing it unless more and more of us stand up and more and more, you know, male allies and uh, stand up and, and say that th- this needs to be fixed. We need to make sure that if someone is going to have a conference or an event that we have a diverse mixture of people, LGBTQ women, 
you know, as well as men. I'm not saying I'm not a man hater. I'm not saying there shouldn't be any men at all. I'm saying like, let's have a let's have it diverse. Everyone has a different perspective. Everyone has a different, um, you know, say, uh, you know, and, and, and vantage point. Everybody should be represented. I think, I think that's, yeah. that's, that's the bottom okay. line, you know, and I try to do that with, with my jobs and, and employing people as well. You know, I try to give everybody a chance, um, you know, especially when it comes to cybersecurity, because I think it takes a male brain and a female brain in order to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish in industry, because yeah. we think differently, but we think in ways that complement each other. And I think that, you know, even in, in the military, we experienced the same thing. You know, back then, you know, when I went into boot camp, it was, they were just starting to transition to where men and women were working side by side. And they were like, oh, wait a minute, this is actually complimentary. You know, it, mm. it, it's working out. And I think we need to go through the same thing in cybersecurity. But you're right. You know, when you look back when the, when the industry first started, you know, the old Unix admins were the beginning of what we have now you know, the old heavy set white guys with the gray hair <laughs> would, wouldn't say yeah. shit to you walking down the hall, ignored you most of the time. And if you asked a question, yeah. they were like RTFM, you know, they were all. Yeah. Yeah. Sour. Assholes. Basically. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Um, the industry for me, I think that there's a lot to, to, to be improved upon. Um, but I think the biggest part for me is the politics, right. And, mm. and the bureaucracy. Bureaucracy and, and the pay as well. Um, you know, when I go into company A with, you know, X amount of years of, of, you know, time in the industry, you know, being, being here forever and then walk in, they say, well, you're overqualified or we yeah. can't afford, we can't afford you yeah. or they, or they bring in these kids out of school and they're starting them off, you know, at basically minimum wage, you know, it, it doesn't give people motivation to do shit, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, and and the other thing, <laughs> just look at this comment from user three example. User example. Yeah, I'm like, I'm. I'm sure you guys can see my eyes. I'm like eyeing this spider. I'm like, I'll wait for it to okay, jump so down. User example. I promise, I won't. I won't scream. I promise. Um, but um, yeah, Mike. Here's the thing, and this is. I'm glad you brought this up because this is another issue or concern that I've got, which is, um, you know the the whole degree requirement like i was really excited to see the 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 big four like what was it ernst and young um i think even deloitte did it and i think accenture a lot of them came out and went public about saying okay we've listened we're not <laughs> we're not finding good talent we're not finding talent um who know what the hell they're doing that know what a buffer overflow is or an ip address is um we're eliminating this degree requirement now and and it's like oh thank god finally like this is like 10 20 years too late but you know um you couldn't go work for any of those big fours without a degree you know and and a lot of the companies now um in the job postings you'll see um, even not just with the big four, but like a lot of companies were like, you need a minimum of a bachelor's degree or you need a minimum of a, of a you know, four year, like what, what happens if college wasn't for you? Yeah. Exactly. What happens if you don't want to go to the university and get a, you know, a PhD in cybersecurity? It should be, it should have always been bachelor's degree or equivalent experience. You know, there's why, why does, why does a degree all of a sudden make you a senior penetration tester? How does a degree make you a senior forensic analyst? Yeah, you know that I, that never made sense to me. 
the the only way that I would go back and get a PhD is if I got to wear a lab coat and a fucking stethoscope when I did cybersecurity. I think that'd be fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Well, and, and don't get me wrong, for those of you that do have degrees, I have a huge amount of respect for you. And, and when I was arrested, um, I, I was expelled from school because they actually arrested me at school. Um, <laughs> I was doing a lot of the hacking from school. So the school was like, okay, you need to go and not ever come back. Um, and so um, when I, so I was basically a high school dropout. I went to go get my GED and don't get me wrong. I, I love education. I'm like, I actually, so I actually ended up going to American military university. And then I went on to um, go to Temple university and Fox oh. school of business. And I, I love school. I love writing theses. I love, I love, you know, that I'm, I'm just one of those weirdo hackers that loves to write, but, um, and so, you know, I, I'm not saying that, that that's awful that, you know, if you have a degree, that's awesome. Um, as a matter of fact, at some point here, I want to make time to be able to go back to school and get my four-year degree, um, and you know, go on to get my master's degree and maybe even my PhD. You know, I just, I want to, like I said, I want to be a life well-lived, you know, yeah. at my funeral, I want all of you guys to be able to say Alyssa lived her life very well. The, the, the only way you can go back to school and get a PhD is if after you graduate with your PhD, if you take a photo in a lab coat and stethoscope doing cybersecurity, that's a must. I, I, I That's my next photo, man. I'm saying I'm going to go steal a lab coat. <laughs> I'm going to social engineer a lab coat, social engineer my way into like a pharmaceuticals or biotech company and like rock it out, maybe even the CDC or something and rock out. A, I'm, a, I'm a pen tester with a lab coat. Awesome. Awesome. So talking about CDC and COVID and all of the crazy chaos that, that surrounds it. Um, I've had it a couple times and it doesn't seem to kill me yet. Um, but one thing that, that we had been talking about before was why are we not using AI and computer um, distributed computing to look at the virus and predict mutations and different strains? Mm. You know, like SETI at home back in the day. Yeah. 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 You know, I, and, and this is, okay. So this, this could probably take up a whole other podcast um, and, and is another polarized conversation. But I mean, one of the things that I love about, cause I have some people in my family that were against the vaccine and still are. Mm -hmm. um, and several of them have died from COVID. So I've lost some family members wow. that have died from COVID and they were, they refused to get the vaccine. Um, and it, it was really difficult on me because I, and I love those memes that started to circulate that said, your, what was it? So you're telling me that the um, uh, virologists um, who've spent years going to medical school and studying unknown viruses is, is not, doesn't measure up to your hours of Googling. Like, Facebook. I, yeah, I, I love that meme. Um, but you know, and it's so true. And so this is where one of those things where I like, I don't like to comment because I don't know anything about it. I'm one of those people that like, unless I know something about it, I'm not going to comment. Mm -hmm. So this is a difficult conversation for me to comment on because I don't know, like they could be using ML, um, you know, supervised and unsupervised learning models. I don't know. Maybe that's how they got a vaccine out so fast. I don't know if they are or not, but if they aren't for sure, my position is they should be. Um, if the world is changing, it's changing so fast. I mean, think about it, Mike, look, it wasn't that long ago. We were all rocking out pagers. 
Yeah, it wasn't that real. long ago we were all rocking out flip phones. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was just watching the um, on YouTube. Uh, just a, for all of you, it's it's a great video. If you ever think you know, if you have some time to go watch it, it's the original Apple um, event where um, Steve Jobs unveiled the first iPhone, and it's a great video to watch. But if you look at the date on it, dude, that wasn't that long ago, man. No, that wasn't that long ago. So technology is moving so fast now, and you know. AI and ML is now a thing in cybersecurity. We're intrusion snort snort. The days of snort IDS signatures, Mike, are oh, gone. Thank God. Yeah. Um, you know, and so the, these, the, so we are in an age of ML where ML doesn't produce an exorbitant amount of false positives, and it's gotten better. And we've we're starting to get it. We're starting to figure it out, yeah. and and that's great. Hashtag more please. And if that's not being assi- applied to life sciences, it should be. And, and it's, and, and I hope it does soon because I, I honestly don't think COVID-19 is going away. Everyone, you heard it from me first. You heard it here on Mike's show. I believe that face masks are never going to go away. I believe the next one is COVID-21, COVID-22. It's, this is our new life now. This is our new life now. Yeah. I just, I hope the lethality reduces just a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, being in the hospital with COVID, I was in the hospital twice with COVID and mostly Sorry. because of uh, the pacemaker and, and a genetic um, blood clotting issue. Uh, but going into the hospital and seeing people come in after me and then leaving in a zipped up bag was kind of frustrating. You know, it's kind Whoa, of scary Jesus. too. And you're not allowed visitors, right? So you're in this yeah. hospital. And, it, and you're alone. Yeah, you don't have anyone. It's chaos. Um so yeah, I think that if they're not using ML, they definitely need to be. But there's so much, you know, uncertainty about what's going on and where it's going. And, and then you have the overnight PhDs that are, you know, talking about the virus and, and spreading disinformation and bullshit. Um, I was totally against a vaccine uh, simply because of the fact that I blood clot really easy. And, and I heard that it caused pericarditis and stuff like that. But now that that new strain is is hitting the U.S. that mu variant, that's yeah, the new mu variant. Yeah, I you know, in the second, I got the Moderna. In the second, the first one, I was a little okay. Second one, actually, I, I was spiking high fevers and Gosh. had seizures and was taken to the hospital from it. What? So it was it was a really scary experience. But you know, I was like. You know, telling my wife while she was crying, driving me to the hospital. I'm like, okay, if I don't make it, this is where this is. This is where that is. You know, like I, I thought I was done, you know? Um, but um, it's, it's a scary time right now, you know? Yeah. And, and that's why that's another thing why I'm so tired of the rhetoric and, and, you know, um, just the bullshit, the bullshit, the, the meanness, mm-hmm. you know, you, I'm sure you saw that viral video of that that webcam footage of someone's house where it actually showed those two neighbors shooting and killing each other. Yes, yeah. Like, I, I don't understand that. Like there's so much hatred in the world right now and, and just meanness and, and we're dealing, we're all dealing with a pandemic. We're all dealing with a virus that's killing people. Yep. And how, I just wish it would stop. I wish we would all just be nice to each other and take care of each other. Exactly. You know, we're, we're all humans. We're all part of the same race. Yeah. Just take care of each other. And, pe- and people need to understand too, is that, you know, people in big government, they're out to make some money. You know, everybody's out to make some kind of money. They have to, you know, pay their bills and, and do what they need to do to continue their lifestyle. But people need to look out for each other. 
you know, because if we don't yeah. look out for each other, nobody's going to look out for us for sure. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because, you know, even the smallest act of kindness these days now, um, just almost surprises you and catches you off guard, mm-hmm. you know, um, like, you know, I'm really big on like a lot of people will sit there and watch someone, yeah, you know, someone who's um, disabled struggle with opening a door and I'll, I'll rush up really fast in the restaurant. Oh, just quickly open the door for them. And it's like, Oh my God, thank you so much. That was so nice of you to do that for, or, and people are so sort of like, dude, I, I, I opened the door for someone who's disabled. Why is that such a shocking thing? But like, I'm, I, it's sad that we've, we've gotten to a place now where in our society, everyone stops to pause to, to thank someone for doing something like that. You know, we're pulling over who and with somebody who's on the side of the road in the rain and asking, Hey, you know, do you need a cell phone? Are you okay? Are you okay? You know, it's, it should be expected. It shouldn't be something that should be that far out of the ordinary, you know? Yeah. User example makes a good point. You know, even being polite to someone um, is is like, you think they're hitting on them or something, you know, it's weird. Yeah, for sure. Well, Alyssa, I appreciate you coming on the show. This has been a badass conversation. Yeah, man. Hey, if you want to come over and kill this spider for me, uh, that would be great. Uh, or anyone in the audience, because um, I'm seriously about to take a picture of this thing. This thing is the size of my hand. I swear to God, I've never seen a spider so big. I, I think you should um, take a picture of it and post it on Twitter. When you I am. It. I'm going to tweet this shit. This is the biggest spider I've ever seen. I'm, I, I, like, I usually vacuum them up, Mike. Mike, this thing will not fit in the vacuum tube. This thing is so freaking big. I, I swear to God, I think it's a tarantula. You're in Vegas, right? I'm in Vegas. Yeah, yeah. we have these like big wolf spiders. Like yeah. I, it, I'm, I'm, and it's above the door, dude. Like, how the hell am I going to even get out of here? Anyway, so, so before um, b- before we go, I'll give you a little tidbit of information that that I don't give people very often. You know, Texas Station Hotel and Casino. Yeah, yeah, we pa- we pass that by that a lot. We live in Summerlin. Yeah. If, if any of you know where Summerlin is, um, we're right. Like I could, I could throw a rock and hit a mountain. Like we're right up next to Red Rock. So I fought there in 2001 against Rocky Juarez. What? Yeah. Are you okay? Uh, MMA? No, boxing. Boxing? Oh my yeah. God. You're a former boxer? Yep. Dude. That was my Dude, that's help. epic. That was fun. You need to talk about that more. That's so dope. Actually, you should have opened the show with that. <laughs> like, oh my God, that's serious badassness. I, long, that's amazing. Long time ago. Yeah, yeah. I know that very well. We've actually stopped there, gotten gas and filled up there. And yeah, I, it's it's a it's a, it's a it's a really cute little casino. Yeah. Well, that's Alyssa, funny. I appreciate it. We need to do this again sometime soon. Oh yeah, dude. I'll come back to your show. And thank you, Kristen and Matt and Vicky and Melissa. Is it Micheline? Uh, Alex, all of you, um, user example. Thank, thank you, everyone who came today to watch, and I appreciate all of you. And please, definitely, if if we didn't stress this enough on the show, like hit that subscribe button. I know it's a pain in the ass, but when you're watching a YouTube video, like hit that subscribe button. It helps us. If you're trying to figure out, if you're laying in bed at night, how do I support Mike? How do I support Alyssa? How do I support them? Um, hitting that subscribe button and watching our videos actually all the way through and buying our books and commenting and giving a good positive review. Thanks, Kristen. Woo-hoo! And uh, I love you. Absolutely awesome. love you. Um, but yeah, thank you, Mike, for having me on the show. Um, it's a real My privilege. Pleasure. You're, you're a dear friend. Thank I you appreciate for it, Alyssa. And uh, we'll get together about the uh, speakers guild and, and yeah, dude, forward. let's do that. I'm like, Talk I'm out. like going to type up a message to you right now on LinkedIn about that. 
Cool. All right. Well, have a good weekend. And thank you to all of the ghosts that came to the show today. And uh, this is it for The Haunted Hacker. We'll see you next weekend. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, everyone. Take care of each other.